Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. So good to have you joining us. This is February 1st, 2021. How about that? How time does fly when you're busy and having fun. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listeners. We say that each and every week, and have been saying that for nearly 10 years. We've been doing this podcast a little over 10 years. I created that opening comment a number of years ago, probably nine years ago. Anyway, so we say it each week, but it's true. We're just so grateful to have you. Again, our best reward is to hear that you are listening and thousands and thousands of other mortgage professionals and real estate professionals or those interested in our industry are listening as well. As a result, our commitment is to bring you timely information and audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. In our hot topic segment today, we have a friend of mine, Scott Harris, CEO and founder of Social Survey, will be joining us. In fact, they're going to be making an announcement today live on our podcast about the rebranding of the company. So we're going to really stay involved all the way to the hot topic segment. Not going to want to miss this. Last week's hot topic with Dr. Doug Duggan, the chief economist for Fannie Mae was really well listened to and check out some of the latest links. We're so grateful to our relationship with the GSEs, Fanny, Freddie, and for them being a part of this. We're also so grateful for our sponsorship with the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Make sure to go listen to the January 4th interview of Michael Frattentoni. Michael is the chief economist for the NBA. We had a great interview talking about where the NBA's forecast is for the new year. We covered a lot of forecasts in the new year, wrapping it up last week with Doug Duncan. Also, Finastro, whose Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution helps you create a powerful and simplified borrowing experience for your lenders. So check out Finastra's Mortgage Bot Solution. Also, we had Dan Putney on with some interesting survey data. That was on January 11th. Check that one out. Also, Lenders One and Mortgage Collaborative. These two co-ops are great ways for you to connect with peers and vendor members. And we're members of both of these co-ops. They both do a great job of helping you as lenders interact with your peer group. We were talking to um, one of my clients who's a member of one of the groups and was saying, boy, the peer analysis we got out of that was so valuable. It's amazing. So check out Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Great co-ops to join. We belong to both of them. Also, the Community Mortgage Letters of America. Listen to the interview we did with Michael Jones on September 21st, 2020, as well as Indicom, partners with lenders and servicers and mortgage insurers and title insurance companies to help achieve one specific goal, and that is to help them grow. Check out the interview we did with Linda Bomar, August 31st. Also, Incelerate, who helps lenders close more loans by engaging better with borrowers, prospects, and past customers, August 17th, we interviewed Josh Friend. Also, Knowledge Coop, Mobility RE, 
are two great companies. Knowledge Group does a great job of their training. Mobility RE helps you make sure you connect with loan officers, as does Modex. Both Modex and Mobility RE have a similar product. We have more and more clients signing up for both services because how they complement each other. But check out both of these. It accesses the NMLS data, and both of these companies will bring that to you in different ways. Again, I recommend you check them out. Finally, I want to say a special thank you to Alice, Alan, Matt for their contributions each and every week to this podcast. Let's get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute with Rob Van Raphorst and hear what the MBA has for us. Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the Senate Banking Committee conducted a hearing on the nomination of Congresswoman Marsha Fudge to serve as the Secretary of HUD. The hearing is the first step in the confirmation process. In her opening statement, Congresswoman Fudge pledged to increase the supply of affordable homes. The hearing also covered the adequacy of housing policies to ensure homeowners are able to access forbearance and avoid foreclosures and evictions. Given the narrow majority in the House and the busy Senate floor schedule in the weeks ahead, a swift vote on Fudge's nomination is not expected. Also last week, Senators Ben Cardin and Rob Portman introduced the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act, a bill that would create a new federal tax credit to fuel development. A key priority in MBA's advocacy efforts, this bipartisan legislation would encourage rehabilitation of single-family homes and attract $100 billion in development activity to underserved rural and urban communities across the country. That's it for now. Thanks for joining me. It's that confirmation is not expected to go well. So when you have the MBA and Rob saying, yeah, this may take a little while. Anyway, Rob, thanks so much for bringing us the update. Let's run over to Les Parker and get this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. We walk this COVID street on the boulevard of broken dreams. Where the lockdowns creep and we're the only ones walking sheltered streets. Protests of lockdowns around the globe hit equities and fixed income markets. Global unrest that began years ago increases with inadequate COVID-19 responses by government, whether autocratic or democracies. Economic disruption hurts people, dreams die, and the feeling of abandonment rises. GameStop points to the democratization of finance. It increases the risk of unintended consequences from central bankers adding liquidity. Data analysts have a tough road to help businesses understand multifaceted risk. People yearn to work and shop. Till then, they walk alone. These views are my own. Want more? Go to tmspotlight.com. Yeah, go check out the TM Spotlight newsletter at tmspotlight.com. And you'll get some great information. I was wondering if someone's going to hit on all the interesting information that went on last week in the market. Hey, Matt Graham's here, founder of CEO of MBS Live. And uh, with his market update, Matt, good to have you here, friend. Good job pre-recording your segment last week. You really did a good job. So I got the right inspiration recording for this podcast. What could be more inspirational? <laughs> what could be? Other than you. maybe trading GameStop interesting. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't really swing a dead cat without hitting news about GameStop <laughs> or headlines or people asking you about it. We had questions on MBS Live in the chat about, oh my gosh, could this happen in the MBS market? And the answer is no, probably not. It was sort of a unique situation with the stock market and options and whatnot. I'm not a, an expert on all that stuff, but it is very interesting. And I do think that it did spill over 
and move the broader market. And it definitely seemed to have an effect on uh, broader stock averages, but not necessarily in the same direction that GameStop was trading. So it's a curiosity. It's something that's fascinating and we'll have to see where it goes. But as for the meat and potatoes for bonds, so last week started out fairly strong in a nice way. This was part of a multi-week push back against the highest yield since March 2020 that we saw back on January 12th. So that was itself part of the momentum that followed the Georgia Senate election. Yield spiked, it found a ceiling, and they've been moving lower ever since. That momentum continued at the beginning of last week. Things were looking pretty good, and suddenly we found ourselves in a situation where it looked like 10-year yields might actually break below 1%. Gasp. I mean, that is, who who (laughs) thought that could happen after we were stampeding up toward 1.2% a few weeks ago? So that was optimistic, and econ data was, you know, mixed to stronger. There were a few weaker reports, but in the cases where the reports were weaker, there were fairly decent silver linings. I'll tell you what I mean here in a second as I run down the data. But first up, home prices, very, very yep. strong, up more than very. 1% on a month-to-month basis. And Dave, check out the uh, annual totals. Here's what happened for FHFA home prices. The annual price gain was up to 11% from 10.3% last month. And uh, that's huge. <laughs> that's, that's just staggering. We didn't even mm-hmm. expect that even those of us who had optimistic forecasts for an inventory squeeze, creating higher prices. Case-Shiller, somewhat similar amount of improvement. They are running a bit cooler in terms of their annual level, but from 8% up to 9.1% annually. Really, really stellar there too. Uh, consumer confidence, roughly in line with forecasts, but better than last time. MBA purchases and refis were down a bit, but they are cooling off from a really solid long-term highs two weeks ago. Durable goods was the notable miss of the week, came in at 0.2 versus 0.9 and uh, sharply lower from 1.2 last month. But core CapEx component that strips out some of the more volatile components was in line with forecasts at 0.6 versus 0.6. The Fed was out on Wednesday afternoon. Normally, the Fed's really important. This time, not so much. We didn't really expect them to change much about what they said. And what they did change was fairly bond friendly. It wasn't significant, but if you had to make a case, was that good or bad for bonds? It was bond friendly. And Powell was arguably bond friendly as well, reiterating that it is not yet time to be asking him about tapering. They're not talking about it yet. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And there was really not much reaction to that in the bond market because it has been driven home in the run-up to what's known as the blackout period, which is the week before the Fed announcement, they don't give any public speeches or answer questions. And before that, they've done a really good job of leaving markets with as little uncertainty as possible about where they stood on tapering and policy. They would love to see some fiscal support, and they're going to keep buying bonds, and they don't think that they're going to stop that until inflation is really doing well. And even more importantly, they want to see job growth. Speaking of job growth, big jobs report coming up on Friday this week. And that is going to be interesting to see if that is a market mover. Because as the Fed points out, with jobs being so important, 
it's interesting to consider that we are still 10 million jobs short of pre-COVID levels. Mm-hmm. And if there's one big yeah, but to economic optimism fueling a drive toward higher rates, it's that we could be coping with permanent job destruction and the bond market's going to have a hard time reconciling skyrocketing towards super high yields with that being the case. NFP on Friday. Real quick, back to the end of last week, yields lifted off after they hit 1%. Maybe a bit of a technical bounce, maybe a bit of month-end position squaring, and Uh moved to higher levels a bit. By Friday, found their footing. So we're entering this week kind of in the middle of the range of the past few weeks. We're no longer stampeding down below 1%, but we're not in some sort of panicked sell-off either. In addition to the jobs report, we have the ISM reports. We already had the manufacturing one this morning. It was a bit weaker than expected, but the inflation component was the highest since 2011. Just, you know, to keep an eye on as far as things that could drive inflation. And then we have the other ISM report on Wednesday, the non-manufacturing version expected to come in at 56.8 versus 57.2. So that's it for econ data. And then of course, GameStop has now become silver, from what I hear. So silver commodities <laughs> are the new Reddit trade. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm looking at ADP National Employment coming out on Wednesday. Talk about that number. If you click on those in the econ calendar, it brings up previous results. And you can see like came in at minus 123. And then you go back a few reports, and that's up around 749, 365, 307. Those are all hundreds of thousands. So uh, really sharp contraction in job gains. We lost jobs last month and forecast to only create 45,000 new jobs this month. If you look at the, the weekly econ calendar and you can see that non-farm payrolls, very similar, only forecast to come in at 50,000 after losing 140,000 jobs last month. There's two teams. There's team rising rates and then there's team not so fast. That <laughs> type of econ data where we're only creating 50,000 jobs, that is like batting cleanup for team not so fast. If you can't create more than 50,000 jobs a month, then it's going to take 15 years to get back to pre-COVID levels. So, yeah. Good job. So glad you're part of the podcast. Appreciate you being here, friend. Yeah. If you want to check out the extended trial period, what you do, put in LOL and go get the extended trial period and then sign up. No credit card is required. Matt, thanks so much for making that available to our listeners, friend. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Have a good one. You too. Alice Alvey, it's so good to have you here with us. Alice is CMB Vice President of Education and Training and Union Home Mortgage, and she's got this week's legislative update. Alice, so good to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Happy Monday, everybody. So no news is good news as far as no new legislation that's hit the table. I love that. I'm so happy we're not in the news right now. So I think the main thing is to really make sure everyone is focusing and responding to the Federal Housing Finance Agency's request for information on appraisal-related policies, practices, and process. This is due February 26th, and I've focused on this a couple of weeks, picking a different section, and today I just wanted to zero in on a couple of things related to this concept of should we increase appraisal waivers? Should the agencies have more control over the appraisal process is really how I read this, right? They've got lots of data and how can we leverage that for more appraisal waivers? 
And Dave, since you brought up statistics, I thought I'd throw a couple out that are in this RFI that are quite interesting that say that as of December of 2020, 63% of loans with less than a 60% LTV hmm. were delivered to the enterprises with an appraisal waiver. Now, notice the phrasing there because they'll say they issue an appraisal waiver and it's up to the lender whether to accept it or not. So a little twist of words there, we're going, okay, well, to us, we're going to take it, right? I don't know who doesn't take it unless you really know something about the property. So that's a lot of appraisal waivers already on those lower loan to values. I think what's really important as lenders take a look at their responses to this, I think there's a need to really consider separating purchase and refinance transactions. That's not really on their radar as a direct question. But as we look at the impact of the market, if FIFA grows in their control over the appraisal process, allowing like a hybrid approach where their data plus someone going out and inspecting that the house is still standing from an exterior view, not having right. to go interior. That's one of the things that they're really trying to see how the market feels about this. Now, if you have it on a purchase transaction, how does new data get into the system, right? The more appraisal waivers I have related to purchases, then how is house price appreciation coming in other than from their data? And I think there are a lot of markets that might have a challenge with that over time. So a lot to think about here as we try and think longer term impact to the markets. In the short term, like I've said, we all love more appraisal waivers, but there's a lot to really think through here to make sure that the structure is such that it's a good one. And the piece I would also bring up is I'm really looking for where is the appraisal subcommittee and state licensing in all of this? If the driving argument is that we don't have enough appraisers, it's difficult in a lot of markets to get an appraisal timely, especially in markets like we've had all last year. How do we get more people interested in that field is not just on, well, let's waive it. Do they really need 2,400 hours of education to do a mortgage appraisal, right? Is there a hybrid um, approach like we did with CFPB and state licensing for loan officers? Is there an easier licensing path that could be considered. And I'm really curious once we can get more access to some of the comments that have been made on this to see what is the appraisal institute and that angle of the industry looking at in terms of letting go of part of the process and saying, would we let a realtor do the drive-by? I think not. We'd probably have to have somebody who's arm's length from the transaction. Well, we don't have that network established yet. So where does that come from? Why can't it be a stepping stone to becoming an appraiser and make it less of a barrier to entry and easier to get into. So food for thought as we continue to talk about different ideas and how this might work, it's a great open door to put some change into the industry and, and leverage the data we have without impacting markets. And of course, we want to make it easier for consumers. That's my 20 cents for today. And we have less than 30 days for the new loan application. Everybody should be working on that. FHFA's wanting responses by February 26th. Everybody, come on, be aware of it. Get your voice heard. It's a great report. Thank you for that reminder to do so. When will we be able to start looking at results of some of the postings? Right now, I'm not able to find all the comments that have been posted so far. So we'll keep looking and I'll let everybody know. We'll send you a link that you can get through Dave's website. Yep. Send it over to Nikki and we'll get it up there. Very good. Alice, thank you so much. Appreciate it as always for bringing us a timely and important update. Thank you. Let's get over to Alan Pollock with the tech update. Alan, good job. Always last week. Got a lot of feedback on your comments. I don't know why you get a lot of feedback. You've got a lot of tech people. I, got, right. I need a couple of fans out there. 
<laughs> Appreciate what that. Is the weekly tech report update for this week. Ah, oh, so many crazy things going on. Let's what? start with this. The following words describe what's going on with Reddit and Wall Street bets, right? And all the GameStop news, depending on which part of the news you listen to. Yep. Social disruption, the power of social media, internet fringe culture, the anarchic community of online day traders. <laughs> Basically, Wall Street bets has 4.5 million members. I went through it a lot of times this weekend, and personally, I almost actually went and started buying some stock. It almost just spend a hundred bucks to see what happens because of just the chatter and what people are talking about. It's right. all over the news. It's all over the media. They truly right. are making a difference. I'm not saying what the difference is, if it's good or bad, but they have some clout right now. They're doing social disruption. And uh, GameStop, as we know, it's up 2,200%. Interesting though, Wall Street Bets has been around for a couple of years and it started with Hertz. Here's just one example. It's 59 cents a share. There was a lot of chatter about Hertz. It started, it was about two or three weeks worth of time, why people loved Hertz. Then it went up and it joined on the Robinhood top traded mm -hmm. list because people started basically doing small trading. A lot of people were buying options actually, mm -hmm. just very low risk in options. And then what happened is it grew tenfold in just a few weeks and then Hertz disappeared. So there are a lot more stocks that people are talking about. As we know, silver is up right now because of precious metals and the conversations going on there. Mm -hmm. What I can tell you is they're talking about Nokia. They're talking about Bed Bath & Beyond. There's a huge conversation right now on the internet about how GameStop could actually become the online collaboration distribution of digital games. Because a lot of people are saying GameStop's dead because the more systems that come out, they're all digital. Right. And, and so the conversations, I saw a couple of them online about how GameStop could teach FinTech about digital disruption. Very interesting. It wasn't just one article. There was about two or three I saw like that after a short search. So anyways, lots of great stuff. If you just want to see what's going on, just type Google, type Reddit, Wall Street Bets, and you can see all the chatter and what people are saying. None of these people are experts, but they have the power of community, power of social, which is really interesting. So let's move on. So anyways, so this is pretty interesting, David, just coming off of the whole social conversation. The line between fintech and traditional providers is blurring. This is an article in NASDAQ. And what they say is that fintech players are building momentum and gaining share, and some are now seeing those vendors as incumbents. And there's a chart that I just wanted to say. What they're showing is three things, digital customers, mobile customers, and the percent of digital sales. Since the pandemic, mobile customers has exploded. We now have more mobile customers than we do digital customers. And the percentage of digital sales has continued to increase. Not only that, but neobanks, okay? So let's talk about digital banks, the new generation of banking. Yep. They had some market share, less than 5% market share in 2012, just about 10% in 2018. It dropped a little in 2019. In 2020, it's gone over 40% digital market share. So neobanks are continuing to expand. It's basically, you've got to get digital, you've got to get ready. And the traditional bank, the traditional way of lending is something that is disappearing especially since this pandemic is not over yet and we're finding new ways to innovate and capture new business. So with that being said, Dave, where am I going today? A couple different things. One is we've got the Super Bowl coming up and we've got all those awesome commercials from Rocket Mortgage. There are going to be two commercials this year. They're doubling down. They're going to feature funny guy, Tracy Morgan. It's also going to include an action star athletes and influencers. And what they're going to be talking about is why Rocket Mortgage is so important for the home process. They're going to be focusing on mobile which we just talked about, and they're going to be focusing on brokers the first time ever, how a local mortgage broker plays 
an important role in helping Americans achieve the American dream of ownership, as Rocket Mortgage has said in their press release. And what's kind of funny is Rocket Mortgage just released what they call Rocket Pro TPO. And they're stirring the pot with uh, mortgage brokers, especially going after UWM. It's basically a directory of 43,000 individual loan officers that have worked with Rocket Mortgage in every broker in the country and the ability for consumers to go online and search for their loan officer. A couple other little things in the news, David. Loan Logics just released a new Humda Direct Check. You want to check it out. They basically can get through an entire checklist automated with doc processing, you name it, in just a few short minutes. ICE Mortgage Technology just came out and said that average days of close alone are still 50 to 60 days. They're still up there. There's a lot uh-huh. still to do in the mortgage process. They keep talking about how technology is working, but to me, right, being in technology, we're still chipping away at the 48 yep. days to close a mortgage is still an excessive amount of time. And we need, we have a lot more work to do there. You guys remember in Loan Sifter, just because we're talking about brokers, mm-hmm. Black Knight just released their Loan Sifter update, 120 wholesale investors on that platform. David, outside of that, I hope uh, everyone has a fantastic week. Thanks for listening. Any questions, how to get me, it's Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-advisors.com. Yeah, great. Good job. And neobanks, that is an interesting topic. What's even scarier, David? What's that? Is, is the fact that there's not a good amount of financial literacy. The fact that the newer generations are growing up, not going to the bank and not mm-hmm. learning about saving and, and not really understanding. So we've got a more important role of education, not just yep. financially. For financial institutions listening to our podcast, financial literacy across the board is important, but for the mortgage side, it's education yeah. about the mortgage process. I, I, I don't think asked, that's ever going to go away. I just got asked to go out and speak at our local high school on mortgage finance, and uh, they said, be prepared. These guys are really sharp. And so the next generation underneath them Whatever that generation is, it's in high school right now. At least this group supposedly is really up to date. We'll find out. But thanks so much, Alan. Great job. That ends this week's weekly mortgage update. We've got Justin Bailey and Todd Jordan of Bellamy coming on next week. They are a survey company, but they do surveys in a different way, not at the customer level. They're doing it on a market basis, looking at the big picture of things. I listened to them give a presentation. I invited them to come on because I thought the value of what they did would be beneficial to you. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Community Mortgage Lenders Association, as well as Indicom, Accelerate, Mobility RE, and Modex, and of course, all the others on our website. Check them out. Good to have you with us. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.